Well, most of you know that uh, I just started a series of messages about spiritual warfare, and uh, and originally I thought I'm just going to jump right into this and start speaking about the armor of God that's mentioned over in Ephesians chapter 6. It's such an important part of the Bible. But the Lord reminded me that uh, while... Uh, while the message today will be old hat to some folks you're very familiar with, you've been saved a long time, you've studied the Bible a lot, and you know all of this, but it just reminded me of the fact that there are those that are new Christians, or some folks maybe not not a Christian, some folks that haven't really been taught, and this is so foundational, what I'm talking about this morning that it's something that we absolutely cannot ignore before I get to the message today. I'm going to speak today about the commencement of the conflict, the commencement of the conflict. And to do that, we need to look at three different sections of Scripture. And we're going to have to look at just bits and pieces of it because we would be here for several hours if I tried to say everything there is to say about the message uh, take two or three messages and you pray for me uh, that uh, that I don't drag it out it's real difficult to condense so much information down in in a nutshell and really say what needs to be said and so when we look at those sections of scripture I encourage you to turn there each time you might start by turning to Ezekiel chapter 28 now and uh, as we switch from one section to the other I'm not going to try to read the entire chapter or long sections of it but at least you'll be able to follow along to see that I can substantiate the claims that I'm making in regards to the subject you know there comes a time in a person's life I think this is true of just about everybody that they wonder what in the world is wrong with the world I, I mean surely uh, surely everybody, even unsaved people, can, if they're reasonable, can say, you know, this, something's wrong. This is just not the way that it ought to be. And uh, why does it have to be this way? Why couldn't it all be peaches and creams, you know? Why couldn't it be all roses without any thorns and things like that? And... Uh, We've got the mindset, you know, given enough time and enough hard work, we can eventually make this world a really good, great place. We can make it like Louis Armstrong saying, what a wonderful world. We can create a utopia. There are people that believe that. There are people that are investing everything they've got, their time, their energy, their money, and putting everything into trying to make this world a better place. All of that sounds good, but it's just not true. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 makes a statement there that tells us of our limitations. He says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. In other words, man does not have the ability to plan and to carry out and do the things that need to be done to make this world the kind of world that, that we would want it to be or that God would be pleased with. The fall there in the Garden of Eden brought a curse upon the earth and no amount of human effort will ever change that. We'll never be able to get it back to the state of perfection that when God pronounced there in Genesis chapter 1, all the things he created, he said, it's very good. Very good. It'll never be that way again until the reign of Christ when he restores things back to the proper order. Things are no longer very good. They're not even good. In fact, things are getting worse all of the time. And uh, facing those facts, I mean, that's reality. Facing those facts will keep you from wasting your life in certain endeavors that, uh, that's going to end up in failure every time. 
And only a fool would adopt the philosophy of this world that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you might die. A lot of folks live by that philosophy. Have a blast while you last. I mean, live it up. You're not going to live forever, so let's enjoy every moment of it. And, and uh, that's the way they live. They forget. The Bible says it's appointed that a man wants to die, but what? After that, the judgment. The only way we can live wisely is to live in the light of eternity. Now, turn your Bibles to Ezekiel. With all of the confusion about this subject of spiritual warfare, angels, demons, so forth, heaven and hell, today I want to get to the very root of the problem of this conflict that we're in, the commencement of the conflict. And, you know, the last place you might think of or expect it would be in heaven. And that's where it started, the conflict. Two things I want you to get this morning, the conflict in heaven and the conflict there in Eden. Those two conflicts led to all that we're going through in the world today. And here in Ezekiel chapter number 28, and notice in verse number 13, the last part of it says that thou was created. Now, the prophet is speaking here, giving a message to Tyrannus, uh, the, uh, the leader, the king, and, and condemning him. And in doing so, he simply, he simply addresses Satan because the effort is to show that, that Tyrannus and all of this power, all of his ability and so forth, is being used as a puppet on a string by Satan, the one who's actually ruling. And then he addresses Satan specifically, verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, I have set thee, so thou was upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So here we find in no uncertain terms the fact that Satan was created. He is not eternal like God. There was a time when there was no such thing as Satan. God created Satan, but he created this bright cherub, this spiritual being with great beauty that evidently extended beyond all of the others. He said he's perfect in all of his ways. So we're talking about here a real person. This is not some mere influence. You know, we sometimes talk about satanic power. Well, we're not talking about just the influence. We're talking about the real person, Satan, whether you believe he exists or not, the Bible clearly teaches that he does. In fact, the Bible makes reference to him by way of a noun or a pronoun 175 times and in 50 chapters of 26 different books of the Bible. So there can be no doubt about it. The Lord is telling us that we're dealing with a real person, although spiritual, a real person, an angel, if you will, that has fallen an angel in rebellion. The angels, by the way, are always referred to as being masculine. Oh, they're not pictured that way. So many times in the picture we see the, you know, the girlish figure. And you even hear people talk about, well, my, my mama went to heaven to be an angel. No, none of us are going to be an angel in heaven. That's a completely different thing than, than the saints of God. It speaks about them being innumerable in number. A million, two million. The Lord just says you, you, you can't even count that far. That's how many of these spirit beings that are in existence. And as you know that Satan led in a rebellion against the Lord and drew a third of that number with him in their rebellion against God. 
The Bible says the angels are not uh, able to reproduce. That means that they have no ancestry. They have no posterity. And in other words, they're not like a family. They are an order of spiritual beings. And Lucifer, who is the word means the bearer of light, is described here in Ezekiel chapter number 28. Now I want you to think about his crime. And we see it there in in verse 17, I think it is, of that chapter where he had rebelled against God. Over in Isaiah 14, we see the purpose of that rebellion. So many times we see what someone did and we don't understand why. But in chapter 14 of Isaiah verse 12, he says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down in the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, now get this, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So we see his pride, but here we see his purpose, the motivating factor in his life. He wanted God's place. Notice, I will ascend into the heavens. He, he already had access to heaven, but he wants to take over heaven. He wanted God's place. He wanted God's power. He said, I will exalt my throne Above the stars of God. That is, I, I want to rule over it all. He wanted God's position. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. He wanted God's prominence. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And in the Bible, the word clouds often used in regards to God's mystic presence. You remember the cloud in the wilderness. You remember the Shekinah glory there in the holy place. It speaks about a mystical presence of God. And he is saying here, I'm going to ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then he wanted God's person. He said, I will be like the Most High. Now that's, that's a summation of his crime that he committed against God. And we see the calamity of that. Also, there in Ezekiel, verse 17 of chapter 28, that he was cast out, confined to earth and to this atmosphere. And that's why we often, the Bible refers to him as the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. Air speaks about atmosphere. And as you know, the earth has an atmosphere around it. And within that atmosphere and upon this earth he is declared to be the God of this world now don't misunderstand that as to suppose that he is taking over God's authority don't misunderstand that he's doing something that God can't stop It's something that God is allowing to happen. And in our finite minds, we can't comprehend all of that. It's like somebody asking, well, why did, why did God ever allow sin to come into the world in the first place? Well, that's God's business. But what did you want him to do? Create a, a million robots that just have no free will of their own? God created us in His image. And being in His image means that we have a will. If we didn't have a will, how, how, how could we ever love? There wouldn't be any way for us to love God or to love one another if we had no will. We're just pre-programmed by this, what some would call this higher, higher power, and He pre-programmed us, and we do what we do because, because He made us that way. You've heard a lot of talk about that. He made us this way. It's just the way we are. No, we have a will. God has given to each and every person a will. And Satan 
is the power that dominates every person until they're born again. You need to remember that because there are people that are unsafe. Say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I tell you what, I do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. The Bible tells us that you're taken captive at the devil by the devil at his will. You're not free to do what, what you want to do. You are a captive of Satan. And that's, that's true of me, Brother Kenneth, and every other person until we're born again and then the Lord enables us to be delivered from the power of Satan. So the calamity is that now Satan has been cast out of heaven. He's confined to earth. And boy, whenever we consider the character of Satan, we know that planet earth is in for trouble. For one thing, he is, he's depraved. How could anyone be more depraved, more evil, more wicked, more vile than Satan, a created being who decides one day, I'm going to run this show. I'm going to take God's place. I'm going to, I'm going to rule over all of the universe. And he's very deceptive about that. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it says he's more subtle than any beast of the field. That means he is crafty. He is wise. He's not some dummy. He's very crafty. But he's deceptive. He doesn't give you the big picture. He doesn't tell the whole story. He's determined and he's destructive. He is out to ruin every person that he possibly can. And you look through the Bible and see what he caused. He caused Cain to kill Abel. He caused Abraham to lie, Lot to lust, Samson to stumble, Achan to, to steal. And that list goes on and on and on through the Bible of the influence that Satan had over people in order to destroy their lives. And he's still at work today. That's why that this contention exists upon the earth. Ephesians 6 and verse number 12 tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, so many times we like to think the other person is the enemy. Well, Satan may be using them, but they're not the real enemy. The real enemy is Satan using people to put us at odds with one another, using people to murder, steal, rape, all of the sins that you can think of. He's the mastermind behind all of it, all of the contention that's in the world. And this is a real conflict that we're engaged in against an enemy who is powerful and here we are as puny weaklings in comparison to him. And thank God we learned last week that Christ is our strength. Were it not for him, we wouldn't have a chance. So we have the conflict that started in heaven. Satan is cast out of heaven. He's confined to earth. Well, now we see there's a conflict in Eden. And before we look at all of the details, be mindful of the fact that here, having created the earth, God made Adam and Eve, he gave them the responsibility, gave Adam the responsibility to rule over the earth. In other words, the first form of government was the theocracy. God was the ultimate authority. It wasn't a democracy wasn't any other kind of human government. It was just God who made all of the rules. God it was the only one that was in authority. But he appointed Adam as the, you might call him the governor, to administrate the rules, the laws that God had given. Now remember, Satan's plan is what? He's not just out to get you. You think too much of yourself if you think it's all about you. His plan is to dethrone God because he wants to enthrone himself. He wants the place of God. He's just using people as, as puppets in his hand. But here in Genesis chapter 3, we see the conflict as it begins. And the tempter 
verse 1 of chapter 3, and notice he's referred to as the serpent. He's charming, he's crafty, he's subtle. Notice he didn't appear in his own person. You know, people oftentimes try to draw a picture of what Satan looks like. Well, they don't have a clue as to what Satan looks like. Remember, he is a spirit being to start with. Not, not the pitchfork tail and the horns and all painted up red. That's not a picture of Satan at all. Satan takes on whatever form serves his purpose the best, but he does not appear in his own person. Had he done so, Eve might have run. But remember, this is before the fall. She is innocent. There they are, naked. Just the two of them. There's no shame. And here is this serpent. And, and, and you think about, and I, I, I'm with you, and where I, I, the only good snake I've ever seen is a dead one. I, I don't care anything about serpents. But, but they, there is some fascination about them, the things that they can do and twist and wind, as it were, around the tree and, and he appears to her as something that is attractive and he appeared to her at a time that they were separated. I don't know exactly what was going on but Adam and Eve's not standing right there together. This, the, initial, the initial temptation came to the weaker vessel which was the woman. Sorry women but that's what the doesn't mean the man's better, but there is a weaker vessel, and he appeared to her at a time that she was alone. And the temptation, Satan's the perpetrator. His attack is against God, remember that, against God's word, against God's will, against God's wisdom. And so he is launching an attack against God, but he's working through what? People. And the plan is that he's going to attack the creator through the creature. Well, did it work? Well, if you've read Romans chapter number one, it did. They worship the what? The creature more than the creator, it says. That's exactly what Satan was hoping for. That's what he was working for, to get man to pledge his allegiance to self, to enthrone himself as his own God. And Satan's plan is for a complete downfall of man, body, soul, and spirit. That, that's the plan. That's going to affect man emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And by the way, you'll remember over in 1 John here a few weeks ago in chapter 2 was preaching from there and he speaks there about, about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Those are the three avenues by which sin always comes. And here in the Garden of Eden, notice you see those three things. It says the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. It says it was good for food. So that has to do with the lust of the flesh, the physical side of life. And it's desired to make one wise. That's what John said. That was the pride of life. And that affects the spiritual part of man. And when you read about the temptation of Jesus, guess what? You read about Satan's temptation coming in three different forms. And each one of them is one of these avenues that I just mentioned. That's why the Bible says that he was tempted in all points such as we are yet without sin. Je Jesus has been through it. You say, well, nobody knows how I feel. Nobody knows what I, I couldn't resist. The temptation was so great. Nobody understands. Oh, yeah, Jesus understands. Amen. Amen. And yet he resisted it. So 
here's the presentation. We know his plan. We know exactly what he's trying to do. And notice the first thing he does here in verse number one is he questioned God's word. He says, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, this is a clever ploy, by the way. It's designed to make Eve think that that Satan's concerned about her welfare. This serpent is concerned about me. If God said you shall not eat of, of every tree of the garden, in other words, he's telling Eve, you know, it's all right if you question God. A lot of people have that idea it's all right for us to sit in judgment of things that, that the Lord has declared as sinful is wrong and that we make the rules rather than God and and notice that he emphasized the negative he said uh, remember God said of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it now notice God is speaking about their liberties right you can eat of all of these trees of the garden. Anyone, take your pick. That, that, there's one over there, however. Just that one, leave it alone. And so the emphasis God is placing, it has to do with their liberties. Look at all the things that you can do. Look at all the things that you have. And Satan comes along and he's pointing out the prohibition. That there's something that God's not being fair about God's holding out on you now notice in verse number four he contradicts God's word he started out just questioning the word of God is this really the way it is and now there's a direct contradiction of God's word and he causes Eve to make two very foolish mistakes she first of all look in verse two She abbreviated the word of God. She said, uh, we may eat of the fruit. Now, wait a minute. What did God say? God said, thou mayest freely eat. Why didn't she quote the word freely? She said, God said, thou mayest eat of the fruit. God said, no, that's not what I said. I said, you may freely eat of the fruit. You know, there's a big difference. We need to remember that everything that we have is what? By the grace of God, it's freely given. There's nobody earning their way with God, nobody being good enough in order to deserve God's blessings. God said, you can freely eat of all of these trees except that one. And she leaves that out. And then in verse number three, we see that she added to the word of God. She said God had disallowed them to touch the tree. Yeah, God told her, don't, don't touch the tree. Well, I don't know about you. I read my Bible. He didn't say anything about touching the tree. He said, don't eat of it. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He says, just don't eat of this tree. And you know, there's something that we need to keep in mind whenever we think about this conflict going on between the serpent and Eve here. And it's what she doesn't say speaks louder than what she does say in my mind. Because I see no mention here about God's goodness, about His greatness, about His grace, or His glory. Her eyes are on self. That always leads to failure. She didn't say to the serpent, have you noticed what a wonderful God we have? Look at what He's created. He took a handful of nothing and made all of this something out of it. He's great and He's good. Notice what he's freely given us, all of these things. He's a good God. And yet, 
she makes no mention of any of those things. And it always leads to failure whenever our focus is on self instead of God. Satan basically has called God a liar. And he's been doing that ever since. The majority of people today, for example, they don't believe that the Bible is the absolute perfect word of God. They don't believe that. There are those that believe certain parts of the Bible, those parts that, you know, speak to their personal desires and what have you, but they rule out the other parts. And some people don't believe anything in the Bible. There are people that work feverishly to change and get a, another new version where they abbreviate something or they alter something or they add to something. The very same thing Satan was doing back there in that original conflict with Eve. They can't print Bibles fast enough because people, they think they, they think, you know, got a better version. We've got a better version because we've got some older manuscripts of the Bible. And the thing they don't tell you is that those old manuscripts, were, they were in air and the translators of the Bible knew that. They tossed them aside. They didn't use them. They knew they were corrupt. Well, I could go on for an hour here, but I won't. Let me tell you, if what you hold in your hand is not a true, accurate copy of God's Word in the English language, then it doesn't exist anywhere. I'm glad that we can look into the Word of God and that we can have that settled in our heart as to what is right and what is wrong. But here, Satan convinces her through the manipulation of God's Word here, using it by abbreviating it and adding to it. And, and now she gets the idea. She is convinced now that she can sin and get by with it. I mean, that's the only thing you can make of it, right? I can eat at that tree. I, I can get by with it. Satan's always lied about that. Look at verse 5. Satan said, you shall be as gods. You can improve yourself. And uh, you know what he's doing? What he's really saying? He's saying, I want you to do what I did. I want you to do what I did. Oh, God made me, but oh, I rebelled against him. I was not going to stay under his thumb any longer. I've got a plan that eventually I'm going to take his place. I'll dethrone him. I'll be God. And you can do that too. People have that attitude today. In spite of all of the evidence concerning God's Word being true, in spite of all of the warnings, in spite of all of the blessings, and in spite of all that Jesus did on the cross, there are those that deny any wrongdoing in their life. They live as though they can make the rules. And at the root of the problem is the sinful pride of man. I think I've heard that word a few times this month. I know people get angry whenever you speak about that and they all automatically think you hate them when you deal with the subject. When in reality, it's because you love them and you care about them that you are compelled by the Word of God to let them know what you're doing is wrong. Let me tell you, when, when you can't even watch the Gaithers on YouTube without time and time and time again being interrupted with commercials, it starts with a swipe and the two women, I hope I don't have to explain that. Over and over and over again. Paid for by the pride community. 
And then of all things, the Dodgers game. I wasn't watching the Dodgers. I don't watch ball anyway, but, but I saw the news clip about it and it made me sick to my stomach. A man pretending to be Jesus hanging on a cross. Only a loincloth. Oh, it was realistic, naturally. Certainly wasn't Jesus, but he's hanging there. Looks like he's in the act of suffering. A woman is near, I guess a woman. Made out to be a woman as near naked as possible, as the networks would allow, I suppose. Getting at his feet and writhing and twisting around and around and around him and up in his face and over his head and on the top of the cross and back down and then on the stripper pole and and to think that we live in a day and age where our young people are being taught that it's okay to be gay. And it's not. I'm not screaming and yelling and pounding on the pulpit. I'm not angry with those people. I'm angry that Satan's getting the advantage of those people. But my heart hurts to think that they can just treat the Word of God with such disrespect when it says this stuff is unnatural. Now I know I'm lingering on a particular sin and for good reason. Because pride is at the root of, of the sin. And here they are. It is in your face. Boasting about who they are and what they do. But let me tell you all sin. That whatever the nature of the sin is. Is an affront to God. It's, it's rebellion against God. The very thing that Satan set out to do, I'm going to dethrone him. A year or so ago, I preached a message. I don't remember the title exactly, but it had to do with people, us becoming our own God. People live that way all of the time. It's the way they live, as though they are their own God because they do what they want to do rather than what God demands. And so Satan is saying to Eve, in essence, I want you to do what I did. And millions and millions of people are foolish enough to turn right around and do that. Even though we know that God has pronounced judgment upon him. Now notice the progressiveness of of this, if you look in Genesis 3 and verse 6, and notice how it progresses. It's not something that just happened overnight, as we might say. What I've been talking about at first, you know, those folks said, Look, we're not asking anything from you, just, just respect us to be who we are. Well, this is America, you know, you're free to do whatever you want. and your own bedroom. We're, we're not out to get you. We Christians should not have, you know, been standing outside the gay bars waiting to beat them up. What, what kind of love is that? That's wrong. You ought to be in jail, put in jail for doing something like that. It's nonsense. But I, I'm pointing this out for a reason because in the beginning it was just let us alone. We won't bother you, you don't bother us. And now it's as cutthroat as it can be with them, not just trying to enlist our children and get them involved. They've got them so confused now, they don't know whether they're boys or girls. And it's been a progression since the time that I was a boy. I, I didn't... I didn't know anybody that lived that kind of a lifestyle. If they did, they sure wouldn't talk about it. And in one generation, 
has brought us to where we are. Notice it started with the word Saul. I've underlined that Saul. This is the initial temptation. She saw, it was good for food. She saw that. Then there was the desire. That's the lust. You can't always control what you see. But you can turn your head or put your hands over your eyes or do something. She saw and then she desired, she lust, and then she took it. And that seems like such a simple, innocent act. She sees the fruit and she takes it. But boy, the serious consequences, because notice the next word, she did eat. This is the climax of the sin. She did eat. And then you see what happens. The continuance of the sin. Notice she gave. Adam, come here. Look at what I got. It is good for food. It's good. It's, you need to try this. And whenever we look at these two pictures, the conflict in heaven and the conflict in Eden, it shows us why we have this conflict here in the world today. And it's not going to go away by any effort on our part. The only hope for this world is the coming reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Oh, we can put the very best that man has to offer in as president, vice president. We get the government all seated and we got exactly where we want it. And we can, we can make every effort to make this a utopia. And we're going to fail because the real problem is in the heart of sinful man. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil. And what he said to them is true of every unsaved person. Ye are of your father the devil, and the deeds of your father ye will do. That explains why I lived the way I lived before I got saved. The deeds of your father you will do. Thank God in Jesus Christ we become a new creation. We're not the same person that we used to be because the Spirit of God comes to live within our heart and begins to sanctify, to change our lives, to purify our lives, to make us like unto Christ Himself. Oh, listen, none of us reach that state of perfection while we're here, but we're headed in that direction with His help day by day by day. But this is where the real conflict comes in. Before a person is saved, they don't recognize the conflict. Oh, their conscience to some extent may bother them, but they ignore it long enough, and it's hardened, it's calloused, and so they just ignore that and doesn't bother them anymore. It's easy to deal with. But basically, it's all about. I, I, I think I'll have fun doing this. I think I'll enjoy this. I think I'll get some satisfaction from this. If you listen to Brother Kenneth on Wednesday night, you, you learn there's no satisfaction to be found in this world, regardless of what experiment you might conduct. It's impossible. Satisfaction is found only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about it. The minute you get saved you're going to all of a sudden realize that, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, there is a conflict going on and I don't understand it because I thought when I become a Christian, I thought all my problems were going to go away. 
A lot of people believe that. They think that. Look, when the Lord saved me, he didn't pay any gambling debts I had. When the Lord saved me, he didn't remove any of the scars I had on my body. Whenever the Lord saved me, he didn't, he didn't make me a foot taller and my biceps 24 inches around and humanoid, you know, able to lift thousands of me. He didn't do any of that. But he sure made a change in here. Like old Chief that wrote that song for the Statesman's Quartet, Something Within. It's something within, he said, took over the reins. And mark it down till the day you die. Satan is determined that he's going to wreck and ruin your life and keep you from serving God, keep you from being used of God. Because remember, his, his strategy is just to use you, what? In order to dethrone God. His plan is not going to work. But there's sure a lot of people who, whose lives end up in ruin simply because even after they're saved, they don't apply to themselves what God provided. Aren't you glad that when you're saving the Lord says He knows you're going to have these struggles? But He said, Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. And Amen. we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these powers and principalities, rulers of darkness, of wickedness, and high places, and put on the armor of God. Let me tell you, if you don't, even though you're a Christian, you're going to fall. And when you fall, you're probably going to drag down some others with you. It may cost you your family it, in a thousand and one different ways. You eventually will regret not being prepared for the fight that you're going to be in. And it's a fight till the day you die. I mean, you can pretend like, well, I, I go to church, I give my money, I, do, I read my Bible every night before I go to bed. There's a lot more to it than that. That's like saying, well, our country's at war. I've got a, I'm going to take my old trusty 22 and my pocket knife and I'm going over and show them something. I want to tell you right now, you're not going to make it. They got equipment and weapons and what have you that far beyond what your little 22 and pocket knife's able to defend against. They've got laser weapons now that can just shoot an unseen laser out there and destroy you. Whenever we come down to the spiritual warfare that we're in, we might as well admit it, we don't stand a chance if we try to stand up to the devil by ourselves. The only hope you and I have got of living a successful Christian life is by putting on the armor of God. And we're going to talk about the armor of God next week, Lord willing, in general, and then we're going to take it piece by piece by piece throughout those verses. And I hope you'll be here. But if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, do you understand what a horrible position you're in right now? You're in the same position Satan is. And, and by that, I'm simply saying that the Lord has given him the liberty to do what he does, but he reminds him that his day is coming where he's going to be totally destroyed in a devil's hell, in a burning lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And that's where every unsaved person is headed Without Christ, you don't stand a chance. And thank God He loved you enough that He died on the cross to save you from the penalty of your sin and to be saving you even from the power of your sin. And ultimately, someday, you'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. Isn't it good to know you've got a future like that? To, that's why Paul said to die is gain. We're going to be with the Lord. There's not going to be any 
any sin whatsoever. That's what the Christian has to look forward to. And if you're not saved, would you come today saying, I want to receive Christ as my Lord and my Savior? And if you're here today, and it might be Satan has gotten the advantage of you in some way, you've been living a defeated life, and, and you don't want to live that way any longer. Will you just make a commitment in your heart today? I want to be here for every one of these messages. I, I want to learn as much as I can about what God has to say about being prepared for the conflict. Because it's not just a matter of you being prepared. It's a matter of how God can use you to help others. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. David and musicians are going to come. Father, I pray today that you will speak to us through your word. And Lord, I realize we've tried to cover a lot of a lot of material in a short amount of time today, but just may each one of us be reminded of that great conflict that took place so many long years ago there in heaven where one of your created beings made the decision to rebel against you and then brought that down here to the Garden of Eden where man fell and now, after all of these years, the battle is raging. The conflict is more fierce than ever before. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. That not only can we survive, but we can actually even thrive. That it's not our job to change this world. Our job is to, to bring others to Jesus. May someone here this morning trust Him as their Lord and Savior. We ask it in His precious name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about something. Would you come?